Well, I want you to open your Bible today. Hopefully you brought a Bible. If you didn't, the verses will be up on the screen behind me. John chapter 5. Please turn there. John chapter 5. Keys to freedom for your life. This is part three. There will be four parts to this. So we have one more. Very, very important one to cover next week. John chapter 5. Now, when we talk about freedom, as I already mentioned, people have a a different idea about that. People think that the word freedom means, here's where we're at today. Here's how people view freedom. Now, they may not, if you were to ask them, what is freedom? You may get a lot of different answers. Somebody might say, well, it's the, and don't you hate it when they use the word you're trying to define in their definition? What is freedom? And And they'll say something like, well, it's the freedom to, no, wait a minute. No, wait a minute. Uh, what is freedom? What is freedom? Okay. From the world's perspective, freedom means you can simply do whatever you want without consequences. That's how they see freedom. I can do whatever I want. And they don't think in terms of there are consequences that you can't control. Yes, you may have the ability to make a choice. I may have the ability to make a choice, but the ability to make a choice doesn't mean that there aren't consequences to the choice I made. Do we understand? This is the stuff of life. This is the way it is. And we all make choices. Now, some of those choices, listen carefully, some of those choices result in us experiencing inner freedom. Other choices result in us experiencing bondage and misery. Why is that? Well, because God's ways let us experience this freedom of spirit. The world's ways or the the flesh, our old nature, our sin nature's ways always ends up in bondage. Sin always brings bondage, okay? It always brings bondage. Now we'll talk more about that in a few minutes, but beginning today, which we're gonna do a very quick review of the last two weeks, very quick, all right? There is the foundation of all true freedom, and that is the freedom of trusting Jesus Christ as Savior. The freedom of trusting Jesus Christ as Savior. This is where all freedom begins, true freedom. Because of Adam's sin, when Adam and Eve sinned, okay, in the garden, because of their sin, every person born since then, with the exception of Jesus Christ, has inherited a sin nature and is in bondage to the sin nature. People say, well, you're, you're what you're saying, it's too simplistic. No, friend, it's the truth. Here it is. The world is the mess that it is today because of man's sin nature, okay? That's why we're in the mess we are. That's why there's backstabbing. That's why there's insults. That's why there's killing. That's why there's disease. That's why there's abuse. That's why there are addictions. That's why there are all the things that are wrong with the world. It's because when Adam sinned, sin entered into the world and death by sin. All have sinned. And so here we are. We're living in a world of sinners. That's why, you know what, we, uh, when, we talk, when you talk about marriage, I believe with all my heart, people who aren't saved probably you know, if they're not going to trust Christ as Savior, they're really in for it. Because if those two people who are, we're all sinners, okay, we're all sinners. So you have two sinners and they decide they're going to get married. So now what do you have? You, you not only have to deal with your own sin, you have to deal with the other person's sin. 
That's why God is the one who instituted the idea of marriage. And his idea is that, yes, there's a man, there's a woman, but they've both trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, and he is the center of the marriage, okay? Now, does that mean there will never be problems? No, because we're still sinners, and we still make wrong choices, but it can be a whole lot better if we do it God's way. Now, see, we live in a world today, it says, well... I don't believe in that anymore. We'll just live together, okay? God has a name for that. By the way, according to God, that's sin. God has a name for that. He calls it fornication, and that is a sin. Well, well, but, uh, you know, we have multiple partners. Well, God has a name for that, too, and it's called adultery, and that, too, is sin. None of these things bring true freedom. They only bring bondage, bondage. God has a solution, and the solution is found in Jesus Christ. When you trust in him that he died on the cross and made the payment for your sin, he gives you as a free gift everlasting life. If I could illustrate it, I know some of you have never seen this before. Let me show it to you. It's very, very important. It's an illustration that I learned many years ago. If we could pretend that my left hand represents you and me, let my wallet represent all the things we do wrong, God calls those sin. God loves us. He hates our sin. Sin is what separates you from God. Okay, now you cannot get to heaven with even one sin. Did you know that? Heaven's a perfect place. No sin will dwell there. No sin. So here we are as sinners. No sin will dwell there. I have sin. What does that say about me? I can't get into heaven with my sin. Well, what am I going to do with it? People think, well, I'll go to heaven, I'll do good works, I'll get baptized, I'll give money, I'll try to keep the commandments, I'll go to church, I'll do all these, I'll be nice to my neighbor and my family and my husband or my wife. And certainly that accounts for something. No, it doesn't take away your sin. It's good to be good, you know, it's certainly better than being bad, right? But that doesn't take away the sin. The sin has to be gone. Not only that, but God says, okay, you did it. It has to be paid for. There's a penalty that goes with it. And he says, the wages of sin is death. We would be separated from God for all eternity in hell if we paid for our own sin. Now, God doesn't want that for anybody. So what did he do? Because of his great love for you and me, he sent his son into the world, this hand representing Jesus Christ. And you notice he's sinless. God is sinless. And yet Jesus, God, became a man so he could be a substitute for you and me. He could step in and make the payment for us so we would not have to do it. And that's exactly what he did. When Jesus died on the cross, all the sin of your entire lifetime, he took it upon himself and he made the payment for you and rose from the grave. And he says, if you trust in him or believe in him that he made that payment for you. In other words, you believe this is how you get to heaven. You're trusting in him that he paid for your sin. You're trusting in him as your savior. He says, you will not perish, go to hell, but you have everlasting life. It's a matter of faith. It's not a matter of good works. Because remember, we're already disqualified. Good works won't take it away. A death payment must be made. You either going to be forever separated from God, being punished for your own sin, or you're going to accept the payment Jesus made as the payment for your sin. It's one or the other. If you trust in him, he'll give you everlasting life. Look at John 5, verse 24. 
Jesus said this, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, he that heareth my word, and folks, you heard it today. We've heard it. He that heareth my word and believeth. See it, it's by faith. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath, possesses right now, that's present tense, hath everlasting life. That's forever. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Okay? If you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, the moment you do, God gives you as a gift that very moment, everlasting life. You can know you're saved. You can know you're going to heaven. He says, I promise you, you will not come into condemnation. You'll never go to hell. That's a promise of God. Jesus said it. Can't lie. But what have you done? You've passed from death, eternal death, into eternal life. What a wonderful thing. What does that bring with it? That brings the forgiveness of our sins. And folks, when your sins are forgiven, there's a freedom that comes from that. That's the result of that, freedom. You're declared righteous, okay? You're declared righteous. There's the freedom from the penalty of our sin. Secondly, though, there's the freedom of obedience to God's word. We looked at this last week. Now, this sounds very strange to people today. They see obedience to the word of God as some type of bondage and not freedom. That's why more people don't come to church. That's why more people don't read the Bible. That's why when you say you believe the Bible, you get mocked and you get ridiculed because, because they have the idea, well, that's a book that, that just is going to make my life miserable. No, it won't make your life miserable. It'll make your life better because it's going to take you in a path that is not sinful because sin always brings bondage. Okay, look at John chapter 8. The freedom of obedience to God's word. John 8, verse 30, as he, Jesus, spake these words, many believed on him. So they trusted Christ as Savior. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, those who trusted him as Savior, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples. Indeed, the word disciple means a learner. A learner. You're learning my word. And of course, he wants us to learn it and he wants us to apply it. And I'll mention that in just a moment. But you notice, he said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Now there's two aspects to this. The first is you have to know God's word. You can't continue in something you don't know what it is. See, today people are ignorant of what God's word says, so they continue to make all kinds of wrong decisions during life. They do this, they marry the wrong person, they get in trouble, or they do something they shouldn't have done, and so they, such as they, you know, they get pregnant out of, out of marriage, and so then they figure, well, this is a mess. My life's going to be a mess. This is going to mess up my life. I'll go ahead and get an abortion. Okay, well, that's a wrong decision. God says that's life. That's a human being in you. Well, well, well wait a minute. A woman should have, uh, be able to make a, you know, a choice of what she does with her body. Well, you know what? Your body's one thing. What about the body of the baby? That's a human being in you. Okay. Well, we don't, we don't believe it's a, it's a human being. Listen, you're just flat out dishonest. You're dishonest, okay? Anybody knows, as time goes on, it becomes more and more obvious scientifically. Now, you know, we didn't need science to prove anything because God has spoken. But anybody knows that's a, that's a human being in there. And by the way, if somebody gets an abortion, can God 
forgive. He can forgive, but wouldn't it be better not to do that to begin with? How do we know it's wrong? God says so. See, there are many people who live in incredible guilt because of decisions they've made in the past. The Lord wants to make it right in your life, okay? Now, you can't change the past, but you can definitely have a better future. So we need to know God's word. We need to know the right decisions to make. In verse 32, and ye shall know the truth. And what will that result in? You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So it's knowing God's word. And then secondly, obeying God's word. Obeying God's word. James 1.22 says, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. We can know the word, but if we don't obey the word, if we don't apply what we know, nothing's going to change in life. There are a lot of Christians who are living miserable lives of bondage today. They're miserable. And yet they were raised in a Christian home. They maybe went to a Christian school, maybe even went to you know, a Christian college or Bible college. And, and yet today their lives are a mess. What's going on? It isn't that they didn't get the knowledge. It's that they're not applying what they know. And so if they're not applying it, what are they doing? They're making wrong decisions and wrong decisions result in bondage, not freedom. Jesus said, continue in my word. You'll know, you'll understand the truth and the truth will make you free. Very, very important. Let's move on now to our third key to freedom. And it is this, the freedom of laying aside weights and sin. Now this is for the believer, for the one who's trusted Christ as Savior. Weighing aside, the freedom of, uh, of, of laying aside weights and sin. You see, uh, can I tell you this today, folks? If I was to ask most people here, or some of the people here, who is the great enemy of you? A lot would immediately say, oh, that's easy, that's Satan, that's the devil. That's the wrong answer. Did you know that? The biggest enemy we have is not Satan. The biggest enemy we have is ourselves. Particularly our sin nature that is in us. Yes, Christians still have a sin nature. You might say, how do you know that? Well, because we still sin. We still do things wrong. Now listen, let's quit calling sin mistakes. I made a mistake. Why don't you just call it what it is? Okay. We've sinned against God. Let's, let's, was it a mistake? Oh, it was a mistake to sin against God, but it's more than a mistake. It's a sin. And it brings with it all kinds of problems. We as believers have been saved to live our lives for Jesus Christ and to reach others for him. That's why God left us here when we got saved. He didn't just save us and said, well, good. Now you've got, a, you've got your eternity insurance policy and there, just go live any way you want and it's okay, there's no problem. No, God has a purpose for every life. He allowed us to be conceived and his plan for us is that we come into the world, we learn about Jesus Christ and our need of salvation, we trust Christ as Savior, and then we grow to learn the word of God and apply the word of God to life and be used of God to reach other people for Christ. This is what it's about. This is what it's about. We've been saved to live our lives for Christ and reach others, but through weights, and I'll define those in just a moment, through weights and sin, we put ourselves in bondage 
to where we cannot run the race God has for us successfully. You can't do it. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. This is the section of scripture that probably more than other talks about weights. Hebrews 12 and verse 1. It says, wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about or surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience or endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, we know that we can, we can never be lost once we're saved, okay? We'll not come into condemnation. Why? Salvation is a gift. It's not something you earn or you keep unless you're not faithful. If I have to perform to keep a gift, it's really not a gift. It's not a gift. That's a contract. No, salvation is a gift. The Bible is clear. It is the gift of God's grace, all right? Jesus made it very clear that when you come to him by faith, he'll never lose you. He'll never cast you out. In John chapter 6, Verses 37 through 39, uh, Jesus said, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise, no way, cast out. How do you come? By faith. You trust him as Savior. Jesus goes on in verse 38 to say, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Now, I got a question for you. How obedient of a son was Jesus? perfectly obedient. He couldn't be anything else because the opposite of obedient is disobedient. That would mean he's a sinner. That would mean he's not God. Now, Jesus came to do the will of the Father in verse 39 says, and this is the Father's will which has sent me, okay? So he came to do the will of the Father, and this is the Father's will, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Friend, Jesus is being faithful to the Father in keeping us saved. And he's never going to fail in that because failure in that would be disobedience to the Father. That's how secure we are once we come to Christ by faith, once we trust in him. But you see, our eternal security isn't meant to be a license to sin. Our eternal security gives us the freedom to serve. I want you to see this. Turn with me to Titus, just a few pages back from Hebrews. Titus chapter 2. We'll be back to Hebrews 12 in a minute. Titus chapter 2 in verse 11, it says this, for the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. And what is that grace that brings salvation? Teach us that teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So grace, when you're saved by grace, the grace of God that saved us does not teach us to live a carnal, sinful, careless life. The grace of God that saved us teaches us to live, look at it, that we are to deny things that are not godly. 
and deny worldly lusts and desires, and that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. A Christian who's living carnally, according to his sin nature, is abusing the grace of God in his life. He's insulting, according to Hebrews 10, he's insulting the spirit of grace. Not a good way to go. Now let's go back to Hebrews 12 and let's do some defining of the words here and then some application of them. Hebrews 12 and verse one, again, it says, wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, and I believe that's referring primarily to the believers that were talked about in chapter 11. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us or ensnare us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You notice there's that phrase, let us lay aside every weight. What is a weight? Is he talking about these? Now, you know what I dare say, and they're only five pounds. Some of you are wondering, wonder how heavy they are. Okay. Yeah, and you know what? Five pounds is easy, right? Five pounds is easy. But you know what's real interesting about five pounds? If you were to do this, and I know some of you will probably initially deny this, but if you were to do this all day, I mean all day, all day, sometime during the day, you are going to start experiencing fatigue. And it's going to be to where these things are heavy. You might say, well, they, they, don't, they don't seem very heavy. No, five pounds is, you know, that's a, that's a piece of cake, five pounds. It's not a big deal. You know, we can do that with no problem. But you know what? If you had to do that literally from the moment you got up to the moment you went to bed, I dare say there's probably few people, if any, in this room who could do it. Why? Excuse the pun. Because after a while, it weighs on you. Okay. These are not the weights. If I was to say, let us lay aside every weight, everybody would, and we were talking about these, everybody would go, woo-hoo, amen. I'm for that. No, that's not what this is about. A weight literally is a bulk or a mass. It is something heavy that hinders and slows your progress or movement. They hinder us from accomplishing God's will in our lives. Weights weigh us down. And the Lord says, I want you to lay aside every weight. Now, the picture here is obviously it's an athlete running the race, and you will never see in races, serious races, people running with a bunch of these strapped around them like a suicide bomber. Okay? Oh yeah, let me run, let me run with rates or, or, or ankle weights. You're not gonna see somebody running a race with those things. Why is that? It's because they hinder progress. They don't help progress. Now there are spiritual weights as well. And that's really what this is talking about. Let me also say this, more specifically, if you want a, a simple definition that rings true in my mind, of what a weight is, here you go. It is a time and thought robber. A weight is a time and thought robber. What am I talking about? It wastes your time and it occupies your thoughts. Oh, they're, they're, they're evil. No, here's the thing that's so tricky about weights. Weights in themselves may not be something that's evil when used properly. 
but it can slow us down when we become occupied with them. Let me give you some common weights today in our lives. Hobbies. Am I against people having hobbies? No, but that hobby can be a weight. Doing it too much, loving it too much, being occupied mentally with it too much. See, Satan will use anything to take us away, to slow us down, to weigh us down, to where we cannot accomplish and run the race that God has for us successfully. And these things bring bondage. Can I tell you this? You would not know the freedom of running a race effectively if you had about 10 or 12 of these strapped to your body. You would not run successfully. They would weigh you down. You might say a person would have to be a nut to try to run a race with those. Yeah, you're right. And you know what? We can't run the Christian life race successfully if we're strapped down or bogged down by things that don't matter when it comes down to it. Hobbies, here's another one, a job. Your job can be a weight in your life, okay? If you live for your job, you might say, well, I don't, I don't have a choice. Uh, let, me, let me just address that. Friend, how God sees my life and your life is more important than the way we see it. There's a purpose, there's a plan for my life, a plan for your life. I need to use my life, which is time. I need to use my time effectively for the Lord Jesus Christ. I only get one life to live. And as a Christian, I need to use it properly. Now, I'd say, well, it's, it's my job. Can I tell you this? There's jobs everywhere. They're all over the place. I'm getting ahead of myself, but here it is. Today's message is a call to honesty. We need to examine ourselves and say, am I bogging my life down to where I'm not running effectively for the Lord Jesus Christ? Time is life. Is your whole life your job? That's not right. That's not good. A job is simply a means of providing for your family to where you can live for Jesus Christ. It's all it is. It's not a life. It's a means of making money to where we can live. Hobbies, job. Here's another thing that is oftentimes weights. Friends. Friends can be weights. Young people, teenagers, college-age kids especially. People come into their lives and they become their friends. Well, we all want to be friendly. But you know what? You need to be careful who your friends are. They're like buttons on an elevator. They're either going to take you up or down. And some friends, while they may, watch this, while they may be decent people, they're not spiritually minded and they're not going to help you run the race. Their weight might say, what's wrong with them? Well, they may not be, there may not be anything wrong in the sense of they're not violating the law, they're not a criminal in jail. But are they dragging you down? Are they holding you back? I can remember as a, as a new believer, one of the first lessons I learned, I got saved and for a year I wasted my life and then I decided, no, you know what, I'm going to go on and serve the Lord. And I went to Bible college and one of the first things I learned in Bible college is this. Listen, if you want to grow and you want to be spiritual and you want to be used by God, you need to hang around people who are growing and who are spiritual and who want to be used by God. 
Because if you hang around carnal people, you're going to become carnal. Their weights need to let them go. Here's one we hate to hear. Family can be a weight. Family can be a weight. You put it in front of Christ. Oh, well, I'm just doing this. I'm just doing that. Yeah, but is your family taking you away from serving Christ? Media is a big one today. Media, what we watch, what we listen to, all of these things, internet, all these things, they can be a weight. We may, well, I'm not going anyplace that's bad. I'm not watching bad movies, but let me ask you this. Do you do so much of that to where you're neglecting the things of the spiritual life? Are those things neutralizing you and neutralizing me to where we don't have a passion for Christ and for other people? That thing's a weight. We need to let it go. Weights and sins, weights and sins always bring bondage. The fact is, if we are occupied with other things, temptations, lusts, substitutes, we will never keep our eyes on Christ. Why? Because those other things are our focus. We are to put them behind and look to Christ. He's always out in front, by the way. Many Christians, though, they want both. They want their weights, they want their sins, and at the same time, they say, why? I want the Lord. If we want both in view, this is going to lead to a life of distraction, a life of frustration, a life of instability, and a life of spiritual stagnation. It's not until a Christian says, I'm going to get serious about this, and I'm going to get rid of the weights that are holding me back. And I'm going to live for Christ. And we'll get to the sin in just a minute. Okay? Let's say for an example, there's some 4K race. And you say, you know what? I want to run in that race. I want to run in that race. But let's say you're 30 pounds overweight. And I'm going to win that race. Well, there's some serious work to do. Right? There's not only building up muscle, there's building up stamina. There's all the different things. And one of the things you're going to need to do if you plan on winning is losing weight. You see these people who run the New York Marathon, the Boston Marathon, and all this. Man, these people are so skinny, they look like a praying mantis. I mean, they're just, there's just nothing there. They can find shade in a clothesline. You know, I mean, it's, it's just amazing. I don't know how they do I can't imagine what it, I just can't imagine what it would be to, to be that way. I'm not saying it's bad. But you see, folks, the way they're built, they're not running with excess weight. They've put it aside. They've lost it. And they run, of course, with little clothing on. Why? Because they don't want the clothing even to wear them down or to slow them down. One man said this, what are the weights that we should remove so that we might win the race? A winning athlete does not choose between the good and the bad. He chooses between the better and the best. That's the difference. Too many of us are still in infancy and we're thinking, well, it's good or bad. No, let me ask you this. Is it better or is it best? That's where we need to make our decisions. Let me also say this. Weights are not necessarily sins in themselves. They are a source of bondage and can be deceptive in this way. Why? Because they're not sin. And so we figure, well, it's okay if it's not sin. It's okay. 
Yeah, but you know what? A weight can become a sin. It can not only hinder us, but it can also get to the point to where it's an idol in our life. It literally becomes what we live for. That's idolatry. And that moves over from a weight to a sin. Not good. If our minds are captured by other things besides serving the Lord, we need to be honest about it and we need to make adjustments. Now, friend, listen, this is not between you and me. This is an issue between you and God. One day we are going to stand before him and give an account of the lives we've lived. One pastor of old said this, no one who really wants to count for God can afford to play at Christianity. He must make it the one great business of his life. That's it. That's it. You might say, well, that's just the way my life is. But you have a choice. Okay? Think about it. Whatever we do with our lives, who is making us do that? No one's making us. We live in the United States of America. We live in the freest nation in the world. We have more freedom in America than any other nation. Who's making us? No one's making us. We're choosing things. Let me show you this over in Matthew or Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 4, we have what's called, now most people mistakenly call it the parable of the sower. It really isn't the parable of the sower, it's the parable of the soils. The soils. Because in each case, the sower is the same, the seed is the same. The thing that's different are the soils that the seed is put into. Well, one of them says this in Mark 4:19, Jesus is giving the explanation. And he says this, and the cares of this world, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in, look at the language here, choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. You notice it becomes unfruitful? What does that mean? That there was progress, but now there's degradation. It goes downhill, Okay. What happened? Here's a life, you're somebody who got saved, by the way. Here's a life of somebody who gets saved. They start out and they're starting out good and then they let the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things come in. And what does it do? The word of God in them, it chokes the word of God and they end up being unfruitful. They can't run their race successfully because they let too many things in that messed them up. Let me give you another thing about weights and then we'll move on to sin. The last one on weights is this. We don't know how weighed down we are until we get rid of the weights. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? You don't know how weighed down you are until you get rid of the weights. Now you ask anybody who's lost a lot of weight, physical weight, and they'll tell you that. Life is very different once the weight is off, at least if they can keep it off. Let's move on. While weights neutralize us, sin destroys us. And this could be sin in any form, including the sin of unbelief. Now, people say, well, what do you consider sin? Well, let me mention today, it's not important what I consider sin. What is important is what God says is sin. It's defined in Scripture. Sin is defined, and it hasn't changed either. 
Anything God says is sin is sin. Anything that causes us to miss the mark that God has for us is sin. Anything that is wrong according to the Bible is sin. Anything that keeps me from living a fruitful life for Jesus Christ as a Christian is sin. Okay? Very important. That's why in Hebrews, it tells us in Hebrews 12.1 that we should be separating ourselves from the things that hold us back, whether it be a weight, which is not a sin in itself, but it can become a sin, or outright sins. We need to put those things behind us. We need to shed those things. Speaking of shedding weight, one man who was reading about a quote-unquote eat-all-you-want diet said to a friend, I knew there'd be a catch to it. You have to run 700 miles a day (laughs) to do that. Yeah. Yeah, and guess what? There's not enough hours in the day for that. Now, what is the mindset we should have? Let me show this to you. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We trust the Lord. Here it is. We trust the Lord by faith. We trust in him. And then we live a life that is careful according to the word of God. We live a life where we're being honest with God about ourselves. Okay? We live a life to where we're examining ourselves on a regular basis. A life that's not examined is a wasted life. If we just every day get up, mosey on through, and go to bed at night, and we're not thinking about it, and we're not applying ourselves spiritually, that's a wasted life. And there's a lot of people living those lives. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, well, verse 23, Paul says, this I do for the gospel's sake. So that's our purpose, verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain. Now, if I'm running so that I win, that means I'm going to be laying aside weight and I'm going to be putting sin behind me because I'm serious about this. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it, the world does it, to obtain a corruptible crown. But we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beats the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. In other words, I trust the Lord to help me live a disciplined life lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now the word castaway is not you lose your salvation. The word castaway means disapproved, disapproved. He says, I don't want to be the kind of person I'm known for. I preach to everybody and yet I'm not careful on how I'm running my race and I end up messing up and I end up being disapproved. He says, I don't want that. I want to run the race successfully. And folks, I hope you do as well. This today, as I mentioned earlier, this today is a call to honesty. Let me ask you this, if you're a Christian, is there something holding you back, stopping you from truly running the race, truly running the race, honestly running the race? You need to go to the Lord. This is what we need to do and say, Lord, you know what? I've just got all this junk in my life. And I've been wondering why I don't seem to have the zeal that I once had as a believer. Well, it's probably weights and sins that have come in and put us in bondage 
to where we're not running freely for Christ the way he wants. One verse in closing, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. You know, you could possibly be here today and you're not even sure yet where you're going when you die. Well, at the beginning of the message today, I explained to you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. Let me ask you, if you were to die today, do you know you go to heaven? Well, I I hope I'll go. Well, that's not good enough. If you hope you'll go, there's a good chance that you're still looking at your good works as what's going to get you in. You won't go to heaven by your good works. Bible says, by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Salvation is a gift. You have to receive it as a gift if you want it. God will freely, lovingly give that to you today if you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Would you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior today? Would you trust in Him if you haven't? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.